If you have a Bible or want to turn, look it up on your phone, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1, but I'm going to read verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 11 through 7. One, as we've been working our way through uh, the book of 2 Corinthians the last uh, couple months, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 through chapter 7, verse 1, it says this, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as the children, widen your heart also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body And spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thanks for this morning. Lord, thanks for your goodness to us. Lord, just thanks for just hearing Jess's story and hearing how you've worked in a life and how you work in people's lives. Lord, just thanks for your goodness to us. Lord, thanks for the grace that you've given us, even just this past week, and the strength that we need. Lord, thanks for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would just, Holy Spirit, work through your word this morning, that you would just teach us from your words, you would just calm and remove every distraction from our hearts and minds that we would hear from you. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Do you know what a junk drawer is? Anybody, anybody got a junk drawer in your house? Uh, you, you, everybody got junk drawers? Uh, we all got junk drawers. Most ours is in the kitchen. I think most, most people keep theirs in the, in the kitchen. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, a junk drawer is a place where you put all the stuff that you actually need, uh, you just, but you just don't know where to put it. And so you just uh, you put it in there. It just starts piling up. Um, and the problem with our junk drawer is that the jewel that I need, I can't find it in there because it gets all tangled up. It gets stuck or it gets lost amongst all the junk that I have in the drawer. And every once in a while, I will find something that I need in there. I'll take it out, use it, and think, I shouldn't put it back in the junk drawer. I'll find a spot for it all by itself, and I'll set it aside, and I will use it when I need it. And it makes the house flourish and function the way it's supposed to be. There's less frustration, there's less failure when I have set that thing apart that I need and not just stuck it back in the junk drawer where it gets tangled and stuck and frustrating. That's what we want in our lives, isn't it? 
We want to be able to function and to flourish. That's the desire of our lives. It's the desire of every parent for their kids. And God has designed that to be true for Christians as well. His desire for you is to flourish and to function effectively for your good and his glory. And we come to the section in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that in a sense as we've gone through it even as you read 2 Corinthians you come to this part and it seems a little bit out of place it it seems like it doesn't quite fit with everything else that we have been talking about it seems a little harsh almost like this is a command don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers it seems a little bit disjointed but it's not because if you were to hear and if you could hear the heartbeat of this passage it would beat with the steady pulse of put God first, put God first, put God first. True flourishing of life and a faithful walk with God comes by putting God first. That's the whole heartbeat of this passage. And right before that, in verses 11 and 13, just this previous little section, Paul speaks about this. Before he, before he puts this big section in there, he speaks and to this church that he loves and that he cares about. He, he says, he, I, I speak freely to you, Corinthians. I mean, he uses their name. He, he speaks in this context of just a parental kind of motivation, like how a mom would talk to their kids. Only a mom can get away with ser- saying certain things. And saying it very directly. And this is how Paul talks to these people. He says it in a way that is very direct. He says it very caring. He says, we, we are not restricted. Our hearts are wide open to you. And he's communicating to them. He, he wants to talk to them. Even though they are being uh, away from him, they're, they're, they're standoffish with the Apostle Paul right now. And he goes, it, it's not me. My, my heart's wide open to you. I'm not restricted you are in our affections. He's caring, he's communicating, he's confronting them, and, and then he's very compassionate, and he says, he says, widen up your hearts. And he does that right before he says this command to them because he doesn't want them to fall into two dangerous ditches. He doesn't want them to hear what he has to say and say that that came across just harsh and cruel and that I just don't like that. He doesn't want them to to take their life and rebel and just go off into coldness. And he also doesn't want them to hear what he has to say and become very callous about it and just ignore what he has to say. And so he sets it up with these very compassionate motivating parental kind of motivations. He's saying, open up your heart. Don't, don't be restricted. My, my affection's for you. This is for your flourishing. This is so that you will function well. God's desire for you and for his people is that you don't junk your life, but he wants you to remain visible jewels of his grace and glory. And he says it in two ways. He says, be very careful of your alliances, which he's going to tell us how to keep us flourishing. Be very careful with your alliances and being, be very clear about who truly cares, which speaks about why and how we can flourish. But first he says, be careful of your alliances. Don't be unequally yoked 
with unbelievers, he says in verse 14. And he basically says the same thing in verse 17. He says, go out from among them and separate yourself from them. And then verse 7, 1, he says, cleanse yourselves from every defilement. The, the, the context of this passage is when you became a Christian in Corinth back in the day, the cost of your faith was unbelievably huge. Everything in their culture was filled with pagan worship. There, there was temples all over the, 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 the city. There are at least 21 massive temples, all these different gods, and every part of the culture was impacted by the religion. And there's these people in Corinth who had become Christians and then the pressures of their city, the pressure of their friend, the pressure of different situations was calling them back to think, hey, I can still do what I always did. I can still live like I always lived and still love Jesus. I can still be a follower of Jesus. And Paul comes to them and says, no. That's not how it works for followers of Christ. Be very careful with your alliances. He says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And a yoke, I'm sure you know, is just this big long piece of wood that they would hitch two animals together to plow a field. And in Deuteronomy, Jesus, the Bible says that you're not supposed to yoke an ox with a donkey because it's uneven. They're not going to go well. One guy was out in the Middle East a number of years ago and he was watching people still using these yokes and he saw, he goes, I saw a donkey and a camel uh, together trying to be yoked together. He goes, it was just ridiculous. Uh, but it wasn't going straight. And he's, this is the picture. He says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers in that way. Watch your alliances because Matthew 11, chapter 30 says, Christians are called to be yoked to Christ. We are to be going and growing in the direction that Jesus Christ would lead us. David Garland says, Paul has in mind an alliance with spiritual opposites. And the image of harnessing oneself to someone who is spiritually incapable evokes images of spiritual disaster. He doesn't want them to junk their lives. So he says, so listen, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You're yoked to Christ. You're supposed to be heading in a different direction. Watch your alliances. Watch the spiritual opposites and see how it impacts your life. Well, what does this not mean? What does it mean? What does it not mean to be unequally yoked with unbelievers? It does not mean not to have contact with people who don't know Jesus. That, 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 it doesn't mean not to have friends who don't know Jesus in a real way. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said about this in verse 9, 10, he goes, I wrote to you. He wrote this church many different letters about all the different struggles that they were going through. And he goes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to get out of the world. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with those. He's not saying in this passage it does not mean not to have unsaved friends who don't know Jesus. We are, we are called to go into the world, share the gospel. That should be what we're supposed to mean. But it's uh, talking about alliances, the directions of your life, which, what's, being, what's leading you. It, it does not mean also not to 
contract with un- unbelievers. It doesn't mean you can't have a business. You being a Christian and somebody else who's not a Christian doesn't mean you can't go into business with those people. It doesn't mean you can't have work relationships. We're supposed to have all those things. He's talking about your alliances with what's leading and directing your life. So what does it mean? It means don't be careless with your relationships. You represent Jesus Christ. And and he gives these questions. This is how he says, it says, what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? He gives these five rhetorical questions, and the answer to all of those things is none. There is no agreement in those things. Those are opposites. That, that shouldn't be. Shaquille O'Neal riding on a Kentucky Dibbery horse should not happen. It just doesn't work right. It, it's not the way it's supposed to be. This is not proper. And he says, this is what he's talking about. Don't be unequally yoked with, with unbelievers. There should be distinctions in your Christian life. Christians are called to be distinct in our actions, in our attitudes. This is very practical. There is to be a distinction of your life. So when God says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, it doesn't mean avoid them, but it means be very careful with your alliances in your life, which means this should, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, wanting to go God's way, wanting to put God first, this should impact your dating and marriage relationships. You should marry someone, date someone who has the desire that you have as a Christian to put God first in your life. Don't be unequally yoked. It's going to lead you into directions and ditches you don't want to go. This should impact your business dealings. You should live and do your business distinctively different than somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. There should be something distinct about your actions and your attitudes when you're at work. This should impact your investment plans. There should be something different about your career choices. There should be some jobs that you should say, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I just can't do that. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I can't invest my money in that. A number of years ago, there was a big push to invest in the seven deadly sins, they called it. You make a lot of money in sins. And as Christians, we should say no to that. We should be distinct in that. There should be a distinction in your life. Is there a distinction in your life with your associations? If your neighbors look at you and you look at your own life, do you say, what's what's different? What stands out? What makes any distinction? Or am I on the same path as everybody else? Get a job, work hard, hope for retirement, save as much money, make your kids happy, try to stay healthy, and then die. Is that the path I'm on? Is that the path that you're on? How much stuff can we collect? Or is in who we marry, how we do our business, how we do our jobs, how we invest our money? Is there a difference? Is there distinctions as Christians? This is what Paul is saying. Come out from among, be distinct. Christians are to display Jesus Christ, not only in their actions and their attitudes, but in our absorption. We absorb so much 
of what the world has to offer. You, you take your phone out and you start scrolling it and scrolling it and you are absorbing all of this information that's saying, here, this is how you're supposed to be. Be this way. And if we are not careful, we will just find ourselves being that way. We just scroll and scroll and think that's the way to go. And Paul is saying, and God is saying to us, put God first. That's not the way it's supposed to to go to us. There should be a distinction. We are displaying something. We, we can't live unfiltered lives. We can't live with just our truths, our truth, and there is no real absolute truth. We can't live with this, you know what, everybody else is discontented in this area. I'm going to be discontented in this area and get me out of Illinois fast. Or we say, God, what do you want for me? How do you want me to live in my distinctions, in my displaying of you? In your Christian life, is there something that you would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I want happiness. I believe in Jesus, but I gotta have that money. I believe in Jesus, but I really like my house. I believe in Jesus and my kids. As long as I got Jesus and my kids are good, Jesus in my house, Jesus and my friends, Jesus in this, then I'm going to be happy. Christians aren't called to live that way. For us, Christians are called to live Jesus plus nothing is what will direct my life. Jesus plus nothing is what, where I'm going to focus my life. I'm going to put God first. And whatever else happens, I want my life to be distinct I want my life to display Jesus because there's two great dangers. One is that you're going to be fooling yourself. And you know it. This could be different and look different in some ways for, for everybody in this room. What does it mean to be separate in certain situations? But you know in your heart, if you're in a situation or an association and you're doing it not because God's first, but because of what you might get from it in a certain way, in an unhealthy, un incorrect way. There was a guy in a church who told me he, 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 was, he was a Christian, and then, you know, he started living how he wanted to live and just doing what he wanted to do. And he goes, one day I was just sitting downstairs in the basement drinking with a bunch of my buddies. We are all getting drunk. And I just looked around, and I said, he said to himself, what am I doing? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. What, what, I say I'm a Christian. These guys have, there's no distinction in my life from them. And God used that moment to wake him up and started to put God first in his life. He kept those friends, but he made a distinction. And they knew the distinction, that Jesus had done something in his life. Don't fool yourself. Don't be very, it's easy to fool ourselves. I am all about Jesus, but I'm also about this. We're easily fooled. That's the one danger. Or the other great danger is fooling others. There's a true story of an old man in his late 90s. He's on his deathbed. He's struggling. His family's with him. He, he's He's still, he can't sleep. He's just restless and they can't figure out what's wrong with him. And, and, and finally, they just, what's, what's wrong, Dad? What's, what's wrong? And he, he says, he, he remembers when he was a little kid. And he was him, a couple of him and his buddies 
We're out at the street, and he keeps thinking about it, he said. And, and we, we were at this, this street that could go left or right, and the street sign was loose, and which, the direction to, to a place they needed to be. And so he goes, we thought it would be fun, but we, we turned the street sign. Never thought much of it, thought it was a funny little prank. And years later in his 90s on his death, but he keeps thinking about it, and what was tormenting was, he said, how many people did we direct the wrong way? How many people did we send the wrong way? For Christians, that should be your question. If you look at your life, is there a distinctiveness to it for Jesus Christ? Are you displaying Jesus Christ? Because don't fool yourself. But the other great danger is that you would fool somebody else. That you would say to them, this is what it is to be a Christian. And you would turn the sign and you'd send them actually farther away from Christ than to Christ. Does your life, morals, motivation, movement direct people toward Christ or away from Christ? If people were to look at your life, would they say, there's something, there's, there's difference because of Jesus in that person? Or would they say, hmm, just like me, I see no difference. Paul says we are called to be careful of our alliances and move people in the direction of Christ. This is what we're called to do. This is when we flourish as Christians. This is, this is what, is, what we are called to do, but, but how do we do it? And, and why should we do it? To, to be different, to put God first, will cause you to stand alone. It will. You know that. It'll cause you to go against the grain of much of what our culture is saying. It's hard. It, it, it takes courage. So, so what's going to be able to allow us to do that? So Paul said, be very careful of your alliances. He goes, be very care, convinced then of who truly cares because he lists after this, for, for we are the temple of the living God, he says. As God says, and he lists a whole number of verses and he just gives this provision of the word of God. This is how you can be convinced of who truly cares for you so that you can flourish and function as the way that God calls you. You you have to be convinced about who really cares for you. And he gives us this provision of of scripture. He, He takes all these Old Testament passages, and and they mix them together, actually. If you were to try to piece apart all those little verses that he makes, it looks like it's just one little quote. Those are all actually different Old Testament little scriptures that Paul put together, and they're all promises, all pieces of scripture that he promises. And there's In Leviticus 26, the the promise in, in that is that God will be with you. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God. And then he quotes Isaiah 52, 11, that God is specially gifted you that they will be my people and then second samuel 7 he talks about being the fathers and his daughters and god will adopt you god indwells you as a christian he separates you he adopts you what's going to help you be distinct and display Christ by putting God first, the way that's going to happen will be to the degree that you believe the promises of God, that you receive the love of God, and that you commit to obeying 
the word of God. Love is what will change a person. Someone said to be loved is to be given an opportunity to step into a new and greater experience of life. Nothing else changes people like love. I have a friend who from a human perspective was born into a human junk drawer. From a little kid, he was abused by his own mother, made fun of, left with often nothing. He was tangled and left to be tossed away. At 16 years old, he meets Jesus. He hears about a God who loves him and receives it. And he comes to know God, but he's a still messed up, tangled up, tossed away teenage boy. And then he meets a family of Christians. And they take him in. And they love him. And they accept him. And they let him stay with him. One day he's washing dishes for them. He, he, he felt he had to just prove to them that he could be in this family. So he always offered to clean things up and always offered to wipe things down. He was afraid that any moment that they would just say, you're done, you're too much work. So one day the, the whole family ate, he jumped up, started washing dishes, and he, he, he loved this family. And he was washing dishes in one of the favorite cups that had been passed down from the, the family that he'd heard the story about. He's washing it carefully, it drops, falls on the ground, and just shatters. And he stands there, shaking, thinking, for sure, this is it. They're going to send me out of here. But the mom came in. She looked at it. She picked it up, swept it up, tossed it in the garbage. It's just a cup. We love you. Changed his life. That love took a teenage boy who felt like junk and knew that he was accepted and would never be tossed away again. So that literally in his 50s, he asked this family, would you care if I changed my last name and took your name? And they said, we'd love it. And now he goes by their last name. He displays their last name. He does things to live for their name, to be distinct. Because he's a Hollis. This is what Christ does for us as Christians. This is what he calls us to do. He says, come out from among them. Don't junk your life. Be distinct. Follow me. And the reason and the way you can do it is because you can know that I love you. I love you unconditionally. I will never toss you away. Everything I do for you is for your good. I went to the cross for you for your sins. I love you that much. So that he can say, Jesus can say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Align your life with Christ. Put God first. Walk in obedience, and he will love you. And we can wait for the glorious day when he will come back and return for us. Align your life with Christ. Put God first.
and know the love of Christ and our lives can flourish.